0: You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow. Between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone.
1: Hello and welcome to a special episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and ordinarily, um, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Um, Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Sterling's iconic series one episode at a time. However, uh, as you guys know, I've been doing a bonus episode review series on the CBS All Access Season 2 um of the Twilight Zone from Jordan Peel and Simon Kinberg and Monkey Paw Productions. And as you guys undoubtedly know and I apologize profusely for this, um I have been on a little bit of a hiatus. And um yeah, it's just it's it kind of takes a lot to to uh to do these uh solo podcasts and everything. So um So I had every intention of resuming the review series for season two of the CBS All Access show. And my intention was to have it uh, finished and good to go by uh, um, the end of the year. Um, And I was very delighted to have the opportunity to speak with Tanana reeve and Stephen Barnes, the writers of the episode of Small Town, Um, and so that, that's what this episode is. This episode is my interview with uh, Tana Narivdu and Stephen Barnes. And the, um, my original intention was to release this interview, um, kind of as a companion or, or connect it to my review of a small town, uh, which is still forthcoming. But I don't know if you guys can tell by my voice. Um, what happened was I, I had this interview with, with, uh, Tananarive and Stephen. And uh, within two hours of that interview completing, I started coughing and had a sore throat. And <clears> throat> basically, I came down with COVID. <laughs> And it has been a roller coaster, and it has been an infuriating roller coaster because I've been so careful and so, so mindful of everything in terms of wearing masks and, and social distancing and disinfecting everything, but I, I still caught it. So um, my original intention was to resume the episodes and... Release them within, release the rest of the season two of the CBS All Access show, um, by the end of the year. But unfortunately, I don't think that's gonna happen. But, um, I'm going to release this special episode, which is my interview with, with the writers of a small town. And I, I'm so delighted that I got a chance to chat with them. And I'm so happy with, with the, the information and just the, just the knowledge, um, that they both shared with me about... Not only the experience of writing for the Twilight Zone, but their experience of of working in in that industry, and the experience of just writing uh, like a collaborative effort of writing. Like, I am such a I am such a dork for that kind of content, and this was just such a such such a such a such a high for me. I was I was so delighted. They were so nice. So what I'm gonna do is release this interview for you guys to listen two and then soon i'm going to finish my season two reviews of the twilight zone the monkey paul productions twilight zone because um i'm very anxious to get to those reviews and everything i just haven't been able to within the last couple of weeks because to be fair or to be frank this is the most i have been able to talk without going into hacking coughs and everything like it's it was bad um i my highest that my fever got was like 102 and i mean just just excruciating headaches and shortness of breath i it was it was terrible um so yeah but i'm i'm at the end of it now or i'm at i'm i'm on the rebound of that now and i can actually talk into a microphone for an extended period of time without being doing that but yeah, so I'm very fortunate that I, I was able to hopefully um, get clear of this of this thing. So um, per my doctor, I do have a couple, uh, about a week and a half left um, of staying off of work. So maybe I'll fill up to, to recording some podcasts in that time. But in the meantime, um, I'm going to go ahead and release this episode, uh, my interview with Reeve Dew and Stephen Barnes. Um, just... Super friendly, super... Uh, I, I really, really loved chatting with them. So um, I hope you guys enjoy this interview and um, thank you so much for supporting me. And um, I do want to mention also that... Uh, you can find more of Anthology as well as full episode archives um, at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod or tweet me at ovanthologypod or send an email to matt at com. And finally, if you want to support the show and get access to exclusive content, go to Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer. And so I actually just recently revamped the reward tiers on Patreon for Obsessive Viewer Podcasts. So if you pledge $1 or $2, you get access to a Patreon-exclusive uh, RSS feed. That is just a lot of me and the, the other co-hosts on Obsessive Viewer um, just kind of chatting kind of... Um, kind of free form discussions or or chats and everything. It's it's a lot more laid back and and fun. Um so check that out. But if you pledge at $5, you get access to um you get access to that as well as commentary tracks that I all I have been and will be recording. My goal is to release at least one in one a month next year, so hopefully that hopefully that pans out. And then finally if, uh the, the higher tier of that is $10 which gets you access to exclusive all that exclusive content as well as um advanced and unreleased content. So um I actually have episodes of anthology the first two episodes of the of reviewing the third season of the original series twilight zone up on that feed um because i I recorded them and banked them with the anticipation of of releasing them after i finished the the new twilight zone series on the podcast so those are there if you want to check that out now at the ten dollar level but uh, those will be released hopefully in january on the main feed here so Yeah. So, okay. So without further ado, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, you know, play my interview with, with Tanarive Du and Stephen Barnes, the writers of A Small Town. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, thank you once again to them for, for chatting with me. They were very, very, uh, gracious with their time and I I was, I was delighted to be able to chat with them. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview and thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next time.
0: Mr. Jason Grant. A man looking to make a big difference in a small town. But being the change you wish to see in the world is a lot more complicated when you've got that whole world in your hands. It's all a matter of perspective. Here, in the Twilight Zone.
1: All right. So, hey, guys, I'm here with uh, Tanana Du and Stephen Barnes, the writers of The Twilight Zone, season two, episode eight, A Small Town, um, which is <laughs> it is my favorite episode of the two seasons. And I'm just delighted to, to have both of you here on the podcast to kind of gush over it with you. <laughs> so, Sounds good.
2: We're yeah. delighted to be here to have yeah. you gush over it. Yeah, gush over, gush <laughs> over me all you want. You you know, know, I, like... I feel like because of the pandemic, we didn't get as much gushing of a mm-hmm. splash as you usually get yeah. when you have an episode of TV on television. <laughs> <laughs> so we're happy to have this conversation.
3: Absolutely. I mean, it was, uh, it was very meaningful to me because it was the first television I'd had produced the live action told I had produced in almost 20 years.
1: Oh, wow. That's so.
3: Incredible. Um, I'd had a severe career interruption because mm-hmm. of family issues, mm-hmm. and logically, I shouldn't have been able to work my way back into Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> you know, ageism and other things mm-hmm. just, you know, should have prevented me from doing that. But I'm a stubborn cuss, mm-hmm.
2: and I've got a great partner. Boy, is he a stubborn cuss, <laughs> and boy, does he have a great partner. <laughs>
1: That's great, and I mean, you do need that with something as uh, competitive and and as as what I assume is hard to get into uh, in the industry. Insanely hard.
2: Everything and happened. it was your first time. First time, wasn't it? Your
1: first time? Uh, yeah, it was also. Well, uh, the, I wrote for the Phil
3: Deguerre nineteen seventies version of the Twilight or, or was it 80s. late the yeah, eighties version 80s. of the Twilight Zone too. And I grew up on the original one. I watched the original Twilight Zone in, in first run. So you know, I'm, nice. I'm. I'm, I'm there was a dinosaur right next to me while I was watching. <laughs> um, it it so it that was unusually meaningful emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, completion is sort of a homecoming, so I was exceptionally happy to be able to to do that and to work with, with Jordan Peele and Monkey mm-hmm. Paw, and Wynn Rosenfeld, those those guys. They're the best.
2: And mm-hmm. for me, my very first television episode, we co-produced a short film in twenty thirteen. So I built my IMDb with that in like a short that we did with Blair Underwood. But in terms of someone hiring me to write a script for TV, very first time, could not be more excited that it was the Twilight Zone, even though like you, Matt, I did not really grow up watching it as a kid i knew it existed i knew it was a thing mm-hmm. i saw probably six of the original episodes like the yeah. guy who broke his glasses i wore glasses so i remember the that just meredith yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that one sticks out but i was not a child of the twilight zone so this to me was well just the thrill of having a produced television episode i knew mm. I knew the reputation, obviously, of the show, but just so excited, like Steve said, to have the opportunity to to work with with Jordan Peel mm. and and Monkey Pod. That was the big win for me out of this.
1: Oh, absolutely. I can only imagine and congratulations to, to both of you for it. Um, you. Yeah. <laughs> so with that with that in mind, the kind of the the mammoth undertaking it does to it takes to to do something of the stature of the twilight zone did you have like any kind of um not reservations but did were there were there any were you conscious of like the property of the twilight zone when you were creating your episode you mean
3: well? There was a lot of emotional pressure for lots of different reasons. The stature of the Twilight Zone wasn't one of them. I mean, that that was part of what made it fat. What made it fun? Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking, "Oh my God, Rod Serling's ghost is watching." I just <laughs> no, no. It was more like, "Oh my God, Jordan Peele is watching." <laughs> yeah, you <know>? yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was more immediate. So the, I think that the you have a creative artist has two different parts in their head at least. Mm-hmm. One is the part that creates and the other is the part that judges what you have created. Oh, okay. And that part is always more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And therefore it is always more Spartan, more critical. Uh, and uh, it, it it will tell you about everything that can go wrong and all that you've done in the past that's gone wrong and you know all of that, all the reasons that this can't possibly work, while the part of you that creates is just the kid that says, hey, let's put on a show! So <laughs> There were lots of, you know, there were lots of, of, of voices in my head that were non-optimal, you know, and I just have to accept them. You know, they're part of the the, the bestiary.
2: I want to go to the Wayback Machine and talk about how it all came about. Oh, that's okay. That was and my and it was Twitter, how we met, Matt, actually, yeah. oh, um, wow. after I saw Get Out and yeah. fell in love with it. I proposed a course called "The Sunken Place." I teach at UCLA. Nice. I was teaching Afrofuturism, which is basically mm-hmm. black speculative fiction. But oh, Katie! But yeah. um, <laughs> but I was tweeting about the fact that I was doing this class. Uh, a reporter for IO9, a freelancer named Evan. Uh, Narciss, uh, who has since become kind of famous, actually, I had a profile on the New York Times recently, uh, reached out and said, I'd love to write a story about your black horror class. The same day his story came out, Monkey Pop Productions followed me. I was already following Monkey Pop Productions, of mm-hmm. course. So you know how it is on Twitter. They follow you. You can send a private message. Mm-hmm. So I sent a private message. Thanks so much for the follow. And, you know, I'm at the age now where I don't even care. If you don't ask, you don't get it. So I said, it would be so great if Jordan Peele could visit my class. You know, whatever. Just give it a shot. Jordan Peele himself, within two hours, got back in touch with me and said, ha ha, I could surprise them. And that's what happened. He came to the class. It was a little viral visit. One student posted like a three-second clip. That was it. They they were very protective of his privacy. Mm -hmm. Three-second clip. It went viral. He talked about us on the, uh, not the Daily Show, but Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. And based out of that meeting, Steve and I were both there, we went to Monkey Potter Pitch. Okay. And at the time, um, Lovecraft Country was already put together, so mm-hmm. I missed that train. Yeah. Uh, and and they, they thought the Twilight song would be a good fit for some of the, uh, the stories we had pitched. Yeah, we pitched a bunch of ideas, and they didn't make it into the first season. Yeah, the they first did. season we couldn't quite mm-hmm. hammer it down.
3: Um, and then in the, in the second, when the second season came, uh, Tanana and I were actually up in Idlewild at a writer's little writer's retreat that we did for our, for each other, just like three days up, up in Idlewild in a cabin.
2: And we heard from Twilight. Well, let's back it up. They reached out to us. That
3: it was before it was during it was on our way well,
2: back from the Idlewild, wasn't it? Oh, I thought we were already uh excited and talking about it on the way there, like literally on the phone with them while we were driving up there. No, I don't
3: remember whether or not we, anyway. we were doing that on the way there, <laughs> but I do remember that they reached out to us on the way back. We were literally driving home from it where we heard that you know, that our pitch or we were open to pitch mm-hmm. or that they wanted they, they wanted to work with us.
2: Yeah, they were like, We we really feel bad, we couldn't figure anything out. First season, let's let's give it another try. So so yeah. you know we're we we're, came, we're pitching we... a lot of different ideas, and you know they, they
3: come up with in-house ideas, and they will you know they'll say, well, what would you do with this idea? And then we, we take do a take on it, and or we offer them an idea of there of, of our own, and they take a look at it. And somewhere in the midst of that exchange, we zeroed in on an idea that was originally called. Tiny cul-de-sac. Yes, uh, right. and there were several different takes on it, and it evolved into a small town.
2: Right. Nice. We thought a small town would be a better title mm-hmm. for that, and <laughs> because it's a it's a pun,
3: you know, it's it's right. a it's a small yeah. town, but it's also a town with small minds, right? And it's right. also the model in <laughs> right, the town. Right. So you know that that three way pun appealed to me, and so I said, yeah,
2: that 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 works pretty well. And in case any of the actors are listening, I feel a <laughs> personal responsibility to let them know that when we wrote that script we said desert town we did not say winter town we did not have a (laughs) drop of snow in our scripts but unfortunately the town they found i think it's called ash i Mm. want to call it ashcroft
3: Maybe. Uh, it's in British Columbia. Right. I, I was thinking that about something in Arizona or New Mexico.
2: Right. But they, they shoot in, you know, in uh And there were references
3: Canada. that would have placed it there. And when they changed that location, we had to go in and tweak some dialogue and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, just
2: tweak some stuff. But uh, we were under very strict NDA, mm-hmm. of course, not to talk about anything. Right. And we weren't really hearing many details about the schedule. They keep a pretty tight ship now yeah. we, we <laughs> As you probably the, know <laughs> we were given the,
3: the 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 opportunity to fly up and and visit the set oh, but wow. because we have a, a child in high school mm-hmm. uh only one of us could go okay. because i have been on sets of of shows while the, i've been on the sets of most of the shows that i that i've written um but tonight I've even never had that experience so it was like okay i stay home
0: you go
2: And the way we even heard about the shoot underway is because I I basically was doing just a random Google search for a small town in Twilight Zone in case Mm -hmm. someone like yourself had heard some kind of tidbit. You know, like Mm -hmm. someone who's a super fan might know something (laughs) that I hadn't heard. And all these stories started popping up, including the CBC, which is like the national news outlet in Canada, about the shoot Let the whole crew of Twilight Zone, 275 people descended on this town. And it's just like the episode. The diner was bustling. (laughs) I mean, it was their slow season. I mean, all these articles and interviews. Everybody was so shocked. They brought in the giant spider. They had a (laughs) real giant spider that was walking on the street. He was
3: very well trained.
2: But, I mean, here we were under NDA. Mm -hmm. And i like, I can't even retweet this story because it gives, it's like, but this is CBC. It's like national news (laughs) that they're shooting our episode right now. (laughs) The mayor giving all kinds of, they were, uh, they did cameos. I mean, everybody, I'm telling you, there must've been like uh, a dozen stories. Everyone who is an extra wrote a blog post or a story about the experience (laughs) of Twilight Zone shooting (laughs) in their town.
1: And you just had to kind of, Kind of take that all in and not spread it or anything, or or you couldn't you couldn't really uh, comment no, on. No, it.
2: it was uh, because honestly, <laughs> um, a we had signed an NDA and right. it's the legal thing. But 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 secondly, <clears throat> we have so much respect for for Monkey Paw mm-hmm. and for Jordan Peele. We would never 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 do anything to yeah. to go back on on our word over something as silly as like publicity <clears throat> or trying to get the word out mm-hmm. early. What was the point? You know, all
3: right? You want to bend over backwards when it comes to stuff like that.
1: Oh yeah. And, to be super careful. Uh, oh yeah. And, because you just never know. Right.
3: Not having been through this process with them before, <clears throat> even though there was there were newspaper articles in mm-hmm. Canada, us saying something about it publicly through social media might trip some lawyer someplace, yeah. yeah. Who then says these people are not nice to play with.
2: <clears throat> and then and then I don't get the invitation to the set visit, you know, which which right. it, it was too difficult to pull it off. I really really wanted mm-hmm. to go to that town. Or you don't get invited back to play again. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but it, that's
3: that's really what I'm more concerned about. Mm-hmm. It's having the reputation as someone who's good to play with. Yeah. There are character actors in Hollywood who are not great actors, mm-hmm. but they're always working. Oh, yeah. And if you look into it, what you find out is these people are great. Mm-hmm. You know, they you know, they play cards with you and they bring donuts to the set. They always know their lines and they always hit their marks. They're never any trouble. Professionals. Mm-hmm. They're professionals. They're adults. Nice. OK, in a business that often seems to be filled with with children, broken yeah. children. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So, so good, the idea so
3: is good point. to be the hardest working adult I can be, to be to to be easy to play with, to be fun to play with. When, when someone gets off the phone with me, I want them to feel better about life than they felt when they got on the phone. I figure if I can be that guy, And also a good writer. I'm going to have a career.
2: So, yeah, we uh, we we turn in our drafts on time. Mm -hmm. If they said, you know, chop out 20 pages. We're like, okay, we'll chop out 20 pages. If they say, oh, we have some budget issues. We need you to rework the third act. It's like, OK, no problem. Third act. So we were we're that person. And and even when I was I I couldn't go to the small town because logistically it was just too difficult. Small planes, the hotels are filled. But they said you could watch the interiors. (laughs) Uh, on the sound stages where they shoot in Vancouver, mm-hmm. which turned out to be just great. I got to meet Damon Wayans Jr., <laughs> who stars in the episode, oh, nice. um, and the young man who played Emilio, whose name is is uh, and uh, is Slippy Mini, and uh, and also Alfonso Alvarez uh, Bareda, who is the director. Was the director. Yeah. Who was really really sweet and like me was so super excited just to be doing it, you know. So we, yeah, we kind of related on that level. We were like, oh my god, we can't believe this. <laughs> yeah, just just a comment about that. If you if you're around
3: Hollywood, you'll notice that people use the phrase "We're super excited to you know to do this, to meet you, to read," and it can feel. You know, the, the old thing used to be, oh, we love your work. We love you. We're big fans. Big We're the bands. biggest fans. Big fans. And it sounds phony. It is phony. Except that it's not exactly. It really isn't. Because enthusiasm, emotion is the fuel that gets the rocket going. if you, okay. When you stop, when you lose that enthusiasm, you shouldn't be working in a dream factory anymore. Mm-hmm. So the people who are there, they will say things like that, and it's partially because it's true, and partially because they want to gin up their enthusiasm so that they'll have the fuel necessary to power the project. So, you know, I make fun of it, but I also understand it's necessary.
2: But, I mean, oh, being there um, on set, mm-hmm. it, you know, I guess I have to say I fell in love with the model. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I remember. Oop. Oh, you still there? Yeah, yeah. I, the model was as you see in the episode because it's beautifully shot so intricate yes the detail. and detailed are you frozen? so good it no, no, oh, no, okay. so uh it was so intricate and detailed I, t- I was taking all these pictures of it and i think people were very nervous that i was taking pictures because i expected them <laughs> to show up on instagram mm-hmm. <laughs> but they have not um <laughs> So, yeah, I was literally almost like a kid in a candy store bouncing around that set. Just You know, they've had a long slog of a shoot. They were in this yeah. freezing cold town. Now they're <laughs> just wrapping up the interiors, and I'm showing up fresh and bouncy. It's like, oh, my God, this yeah, is so I So I, I have a feeling maybe I was a, a slight irritant. No one said it. No uh, one even behaved like I was, but I kind of felt like maybe I was Yeah, the, the writers better. are not the heavy hitters <laughs> yeah. on a set. You know, it's like
3: this term, but you hear about the Polish actress who screwed the writer. <laughs> yeah,
2: but, but I was very... Very impressed they were able to pull out one of those folding chairs with the word writer on it for me to oh, sit nice. in. Oh, so that was exciting. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. It's a real it's a real privilege. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I hope you can pick up on here is that the role of a writer in Hollywood is not the same as the role of the writer in New York in, in, in oh, publishing. That a writer, your script is not a piece of literature.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It's not a story, it's the blueprint for a story. It's the schematic Mm -hmm. for a story. And all these artists, you know, the, the production people, the director, the actors, all those people have to come in and take your schematic and turn it into something real. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. (laughs) If, if you understand that, then you can suspend some of your ego. You're part of a team. Mm -hmm. You're here to to help the team pull the plow. No one dog gets that sled across Alaska. Mm -hmm. You're working together. It's an honor. I mean, it really is and. It's very difficult to get yourself into the position to to have this opportunity. It's much easier to sell a short story or a book. Far, far, far easier. Hollywood is, it's impossible to get in and people get in every day. So everyone's story about how they got into Hollywood is going to be a little bit different. Right. So you, you study that.
2: Yeah, it, it can't always be I invited Jordan Peele and he came to my class. That's <laughs> yeah, not likely to
3: happen again.
2: You know, and it's always stuff like that. It's like seems like really random things. but um... well, She's
3: good at these random things. I don't understand. She really does have a touch of magic about how... You know, the, I she landed a whale with a spider web is the way I put it.
2: Well, I've been publishing uh, horror and specifically black horror since 1995. Mm. And it was a tough road in terms mm. of adaptation and uh, getting diverse casting, for mm. example. So Jordan Peele was a kindred spirit in my mind from the minute yeah. he appeared on the scene. Mm. I love what he's been doing in both the film and the TV space.
1: Oh, me too. And I have
2: a, a special... Uh, special regard for the way they really adhered to the casting in the way we wrote it. Now there were things that were changed. I knew as soon as I got there on set and I was hearing the the scenes like, wait a minute, I don't remember those lines. So I was like, (laughs) let me see the script. So there were some changes in the script, but the things that they really held, I mean, the major pieces were still there. Like for example, we had mentioned a wedding ring, but Mm -hmm. we didn't have like a big wedding ring at the end. That was, I think somebody's brilliant idea. I like it. Um, but uh we wrote the ethnicities of the characters and steve you can contrast the way it used to be we wrote damon wayne's character as black that the pastor nikki was black that her husband was filipino they actually hired a filipino actor to play her husband i looked him up on imdb he was actually filipino um the latino family Mm -hmm. um all of that was on the script level and they really just adhered to all of it. See,
3: in contrast to that, the first story I wrote for the original Twilight Zone was called Teacher's Aid, uh, starred of Adrienne Barbeau, who I'd worked with on Maud at CBS when I was a tour guide, and she played the Maud's daughter. Oh, wow. Um, I, it's going back. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a story about a Christmas party that I probably will not tell. Um, anyway, um, there was... A she was an inner city remedial English teacher who gets possessed by a demon, who that helps her deal with the the gang that kind of plagues the school, and the gang was very clearly written black, mm-hmm. and they cast it white. I did another story for the Outer Limits, um, called the Heist, I think it was, about a street gang that hijacks a an armored a military armored convoy that they think is filled with stinger missiles. And it's actually pieces of the Roswell UFO crash. And there's something alive in there. And they said they could not have this be a black street gang because there weren't enough black people in British Columbia and they would have to import Negroes to Canada. (laughs) Um, It was just, and I saw that and it was like, Oh, it's like that. That's what they're going to do.
2: And and I thought (laughs) because they were shooting in Canada again, that, They would have a difficult time, Mm -hmm. but whether it was camera angles or whatever it is, they managed to create this very diverse small town, which one article pointed out is where do we see that in television and cinema? This small town that is actually also Mm multi-ethnic. And that is
1: something that stands out in the episode in a really great way. It's something that it also like the kind of sense of community comes through really clearly and kind of especially since it, I mean, it aired in June, like when we're in the middle of a pandemic and everything, that's yeah. it kind of had this interesting resonance um, for, for its airing and stuff. So, um, but yeah, that kind of sense of diverse community kind of coming together is, uh, is really strong in the finished product.
2: Excellent. Yeah. Well, you Oops. may have had some questions, Matt. Okay.
1: Yeah. We, <laughs> no. we just, got blah, blah, blah. Oh, This, oh, this is great. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I do want to ask how was the like what's the process? I mean, you guys have worked together obviously for for a, a long time, I'm sure. Like what's the process of actually like creating the the script and everything? And uh, was this one of the in-house uh pitches that they had or was this something that you guys pitched and um it was
3: it was an in it was a, when we, when we say an in-house pitch they, they might have come to us with a log line yeah a log like gotcha. a one just,
2: sentence premise yeah and then and we then fleshed what, it out what would we do with that yeah exactly okay. who would be living this story what would the beats of the story be so you know being married and knowing
3: that we wanted to write together I set up a rule from the very beginning that the relationship itself could never be on the line mm-hmm. that the writing and the relationship had to be in two different rooms. Okay. Because if if an individual artist will fight with themselves about images and thematics and stuff like okay. this, then if people are in a collaboration, they have to be able to fight. Mm-hmm. They're going to have, you know, passionate, deeply held points of view, oh, yeah. even when she's wrong.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and if we're and not, especially when he's wrong, <laughs> and if we're not free to tear each other a new one. Mm then we're not going to get to the good ideas. So it's going to get intense at times. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that so that there's no fear, if, if if this argument goes south, it might damage our love. It might damage really. There can be no abandonment issues. Yeah. There can be no sense. No, there's no side door. There's no back door. Neither of us is looking for an exit. This is it. Our marriage is it. We're just we're committed to that. What? So
2: can I add something? Yeah. When we went to meet in person, and we did meet in person with Jordan Peele and Lynn Rosenfeld, yes. we brought five takes a combination of our takes on a couple of in-house I- ideas and a few original ideas. There were some that I had liked more and some that Steve had liked more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a small town turned out to be one of Steve's. Okay. That, he, that meant that he took lead on it. Yeah.
3: So yeah. that's the other thing. Whoever, sometimes you'll see something that we write and her name goes first. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's my name goes first. That tells you who it is that wrote the first draft.
2: Unless oh, it's okay. just alphabetical, which is kind of confusing because sometimes we're <laughs> almost close to even. No, we've never
3: done my alphabetical. My teachers
2: is almost close to No, even. no,
3: no, no, no. no. Yeah. I, did, I did the first draft on
2: that. I know. You know that's but, why my name goes first. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, some yeah. of them will be alphabetical from the future. I don't think okay. so.
3: I think because, you see, here's the thing. In working with Larry Niven, which which was my education for uh, for science fiction, mm-hmm. um, one of the things he, he taught me is that somebody's got to have the kill switch.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Somebody has to be in charge. Now, you can flip a coin, but somebody has to be the one to ultimately say yes or no. Otherwise, you can get to the point where you can't make a decision and the project dies. Oh, yeah. So. That will never happen if if one person gets to say, "Okay, this is how we're going to do it." You know, you can listen to the arguments, you can do this, you can do that. and so sometimes she's the one with the kill switch. Other times I'm the one with the kill switch, but I don't think it's ever going to come down to 50-50. All
2: All right. Okay. Well, so in this particular case, and this is the model for how we work on everything, and one of the reasons we're able to work so well and so quickly mm-hmm. uh, is that we outline, you know, it happens that in television, you get paid for that outline. But whether or not we were paid for it, we can't write a script unless we have a detailed treatment slash outline that we have both agreed upon. Now, because she has her way
3: of, of, of dealing with the story. I have mine. So if we don't have an outline, and she goes off and writes the first draft, and look at this, like, you went someplace. I can't write this.
2: Uh, yeah. Right. So we agree on the broad strokes. Or actually, we agree on quite a bit. Like, it's all laid out in the outline stage. Yeah. And then the person who is uh, taking lead writes the first draft. And, and we don't, like, sit side by side or anything like that. But we do use a computer program called Writer Duet, which is oh. free, by the way, writers. I like it just for screenwriting, even if it's not a collaboration. But it's perfect for collaborating. Um, you can write on it simultaneously.
3: That's oh, right. Wow. It's really wonderful, like a Google Doc, anyway. you know, only with only with formatting.
2: And new text pops up in red, so I can watch what he's writing while he's writing it. And yeah. vice
3: versa. So, And I can, I can write five pages a day. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes me about 40 minutes if I know where I'm going and I know what's going on, um, all I do is kind of, you know, go into alpha state, imagine the scene, and I type what I see, mm-hmm. okay? And so it's it's garbage, You know, it's full of mistypings, and if it's text, then, you know, the syntax is off, and the, and the grammar is off. like I don't worry about any of that. It's just get it out of my head and onto the page. Once it's on the page, then maybe tomorrow or the day after, or next week, I'll go back and work on it, but It's like I separate out the the flow state from the editor state. That's all that writer's block is, Mm -hmm. is a confusion of flow state and editor state. If you separate the two of them out so that you're just flowing, you don't worry about the quality of it. You can write all day long. It's Mm -hmm. garbage. But if you let yourself spew garbage and then you understand, well, what is it that produces the flow? Well, it's the quality of your input it is that the degree in other words you consciously work on improving your your flow it's a little bit like martial arts you practice things perfectly and then one day you're going to turn around and there's a fist heading at your face, and you respond in some way. That's the garbage, and 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 you you the work that you did in the school will make your garbage better and better and better, and that that's true with your writing too. That you're constantly refining, you're constantly studying, you're looking at it, you're watching the best movies you can, you're reading the best books you can, and you trust that your subconscious mind that that the unconscious competence part of you is going to slowly get better and better and better. So. The part of you that's the editor part is always going to look at the garbage that's flowing out and it's going to be saying, oh, man, you know, that's crap. But my philosophy is that you keep digging through that pile of horse manure because, you know, there's a pony in there somewhere.
2: So, yeah, and going back and forth, polishing as we go, discussing ideas. Then we come up with uh, visual symbols to sort of show more about the character Uh and then you end up with a rough draft, and then they say, or a first draft, and they say, "Oh yeah, we I know it, it's we need like twenty pages cut out of this or whatever." Uh, we had more about the mayor and his family in our original draft, oh, um, and one of the changes that must have happened after our last draft that I really like actually is that more of the blame for what was going wrong was shifted to the mayor. In our draft, the mayor had been a little more successful in riling the townspeople oh, up against the boy. The child, uh, so that they work smaller. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the town itself was a little bit smaller, and in this version they refined that uh, so that the mayor was almost immediately mostly to blame. That his his efforts were unsuccessful to try to scapegoat the boy. Right. It's a softer version of the story, but seeing it on screen, I think it works very well because one of the things you don't want is to be too on the nose. Mm-hmm. And my impression is. <clears throat>
3: That what they never know exactly what they want from you. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want you to give them back the suggestions they gave you. They want you to give them what they would do if they had all the time in the world.
1: Oh, okay. They
3: don't. Okay. So understanding that reading between the lines, trying to create what they would do if they had the time. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the background to do it, and then the understanding that once you finish it, then they're going to take it in house. Yeah, and they're going to do what they need to do. You know, based upon their the budget, based the budget, on whatever the other other scripts that they've got in, mm-hmm. what's happening, the 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 arc of 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 emotional flow through an entire mm-hmm. season, you know the you you just you don't know what that is you're not sitting in the room right. with them so the idea of being able to work with them in that sense was a real honor that they would trust us with how much did they how much budget was the budget on that it's, it's no. not public it's not public no. okay <laughs> i assume you can look that up no you know.
2: but it's a very high budget show okay. um, which is one of the reasons they they decided to do it and the thing i learned is that a whisper is a shout Mm -hmm. in television I learned that from watching Damon Wayans do his lines on camera which seemed to me as an observer like very understated delivery like and when you see it on screen Mm -hmm. there's so much more nuance than you it's not a stage play it's not like you're sitting in the audience and you can see the nuance it's camera Mm -hmm. acting it's different and so that was a huge lesson and the second huge lesson was in terms of the theme because you know Twilight Zone has social justice themes that was Mm kind of what hung us up first season is they couldn't quite figure out the social justice angle on our story okay that was one of the big hang-ups so this one you know there were some people who thought well you guys it's the mayor supposed to be trump it wasn't really literally supposed to be that but of sure. course you have a town with a bad leader who was basically riling up the town uh, right. to try to turn on some of the citizens of color, I could see where there yep. would be some parallels there, oh, absolutely, but in softening it and making the town not respond to it as strongly, having their ire turn more toward the mayor and less against this boy supporting the family, you still get your message across there oh, he's still the only little Latino boy in this town. Mm-hmm. And it's it's terrible that the mayor is accusing him of. You get all that punch, you know, but with without the town being dragged into it. I thought it was a more pleasant viewing experience and felt less on the nose than it would have felt if the whole town had turned on this kid.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to do something that was specifically political. I'm not Mm -hmm. specifically political. I consider myself philosophical Mm -hmm. about things. I wouldn't have
2: minded, Um, but whatever.
3: (laughs) You say tomato. No, I I say rutabaga. Um, So it's. Like I said, it's it's threading a needle. One of the, thing, the ways I used to look at writing in Hollywood is that you have a bunch of different moving needles mm-hmm. and you have to put a thread through all the eyes. There are producers and actors and directors and story editors and showrunners and all these different people, all of whom have to say yes,
1: mm-hmm.
3: all of whom have creativity, all of whom are intelligent people with, with sensitivity. And if you can figure out how to stay loose enough to listen to everything they're saying and find a way to create something where the core of what you're doing is strong enough that even after you change it it still feels like yours so that you look at it on the screen and you say well they're all the you can there're people who will focus on the changes and think oh god that's not mine they'll take their name off and they, right. they or you can look at it and say there is enough of what is there I did something here that was good for these other Good, smart, creative, intelligent people to be able to express themselves. Yeah. You see 200, almost 300 people involved in this. These are people who are paying bills, putting their kids through college, building their own careers and portfolios. What you create has to work for all of them. And if you can do that and still have that sense of individual pride, that little kid inside you saying, I did that. <laughs> Then you can work in this industry.
2: And the idea that we said it was a small town, so they found a small town, and then because of the impact of that, they had a booming winter season that they oh, they were yeah. not used to having. Uh, we gave people jobs, you know. We filled up hotel rooms. That that was such a humbling experience. Yeah. Oh,
1: I can yeah. imagine. And that location that they that they found is just gorgeous, like that. It is that. It, it was. It's really. It really pops on screen. Uh, well, this is a
0: good
2: thing. I understand it has been discovered by Hollywood and is going to be busy, <laughs> but uh, we were some of the first to uh, to get it shot there. I just want to make sure: is it British Columbia? I want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, it's British Columbia. Ashcroft is it. That sounds as possible. Okay. Anyway, it's a tiny little. Uh, we the way we described it in in the script, and I think this was your language, Steve. You. In order to call it a one-horse town, first you would have to find the horse. You'd have to lend it a horse. Lend it a horse, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the
1: first lines of the script.
2: And they were like, okay, bet. And that's what it
1: <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I wanted to ask you about specifically the the, the tone of the episode. Um I like I I have a couple of different podcasts. One is a, a Stephen King podcast and this this episode feels very much like in in the same vein as like a Stephen King story. And and I know that I know That's high you know,
2: praise. No, yeah, I love it. He is the master. Well, he's oh, the king man. of small town settings, isn't he?
1: Yeah. You oh, know? yeah. So, and oh, yeah. I,
2: more than that
3: to me, he's he's brilliant at taking values and, and and he's brilliant at understanding what you love mm-hmm. and then attacking it in some way and then mm-hmm. showing how people either fail their moral test or come together and and rise and this is oh, why yeah. he is he was you know the great 20th century storyteller as far mm-hmm. as i'm concerned and is still oh. a vital force
2: yeah you know the, the man is
3: you know he's he's uh, he's amazing yeah he's yeah. a so, have you had a chance to talk to him?
1: Oh no, 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 no! I, that would be that would be uh, a dream come true. Oh yeah, <laughs> I haven't, but he is. Yeah, well, I hope you get that chance oh,
3: because thanks. he's. Uh, I've, 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 I had the honor of meeting him a few times, and it's an honor, you know, actually had the opportunity.
2: My second book, actually.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's uh, he's. He's, he's priceless.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we interrupted People you. People don't sorry. Oh, no, no, You said fine. Stephen King, and that is <laughs> the word that makes us Oh, absolutely talk a lot. But uh, in terms of the tone, yeah. Um, there's also, I mean, yeah, there's that. There's that sort of Stephen King-like setting and sort of the human frailties that are uh, fueling, say, the supernatural element of this oh, yeah. story. But... It's also decidedly, I would think, more lighthearted <laughs> than right. most Stephen King. Intentionally so.
3: True. Well, he can be pretty lighthearted in his short stories. Okay, know, I've seen. So, I've know. seen some very funny Stephen, but but more people die. Yeah. <laughs>
2: like, we, we, this
3: was more fam- died story,
2: family friendly. Family friendly, you know. Um, <laughs> yes, there's a giant spider, but this spider doesn't really hurt anybody. So yeah. that kind of thing. It, it was Stephen King without claws and teeth. I would mm-hmm. say. I but get, I, you know, so that. we,
3: that's, thats one thing to, to take note of that, mm-hmm. that if we know that we don't want anybody to die. Mm-hmm. Then how do you create tension? You create tension because you know it's part of a series. Mm -hmm. And then in other episodes of that series, people did die. So the audience does not know what's about to happen. So that's one of the the things that we constantly remind ourselves of. You know, people don't know what's about to happen here. So even though we know that we're not going to kill more than a couple of people, Mm -hmm. as far as they're concerned, we're going to kill off everybody. So we've got (laughs) tension because of the expectations of the genre Mm -hmm. or the series or other films that are similar to this or other things that you and I have written. You don't always have to put people through the meat grinder.
2: But also, and we named the character Jason after our son, Jason. Oh, that's uh, nice. The, the real horror is what is this power going to do to him? Mm. Right. What is this going to do to his heart when he has the ability to hurt other people? And mm. and and by extension, the audience members, we get to ask ourselves, what would we do if we had this power? Yeah, you see,
3: I don't believe that power corrupts. I believe that you know, in absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I believe that, that was some guy's opinion and that there are lot, a lot like sunlight or rain that whatever is in your flower bed will grow weeds or roses. And so it is a test of character. That's that's my position on it. So when I'm writing something, I, I do. I think you were a little bit more in the power corrupts category,
2: weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So see, because I, I think people have to sort of uh, when you don't have the power, you really don't know who you're going to be. Uh, that's true. Yeah. what you're true. talking about a revelation of but, character. But what I'm saying is that what you just noticed there, that
3: conversation that gives you thesis and antithesis, mm-hmm. that two things that you need in a story anyway, that that you that you can literally go into it and say, well, I think that power is neutral. You think the power is is negative unless you you know mitigate against it. Those are two different positions on power, which then get to act out through different characters in the story. You now have the oppositional force that you need to drive drama.
2: Yeah, the pastor would have done very different things with that model. That's right. um, The mayor, obviously, yeah, would have done very different things with that would. model. So I'm saying
3: that to say that sh- not even I don't have to agree that we can actually put our disagreement Into the story itself, it's part of what powers it, because otherwise I'd have to, you know, I'd have to take both positions myself. You know, if you're doing a story on child abuse, you know, child abuse, you know, once you're abused, you'll never heal. And the other point of view is no child abuse can be overcome with love. Okay, and so those two. Positions, thesis, and antithesis work together to ultimately create synthesis. Where you say, "Well, it can create." You might even have a character, and then you have a sub-character that that each of which is exemplifying a different point of view in what it is that you're doing thematically. Um, So all of that stuff, you know. the primary thing is, are you telling a good story? Yeah. All the stuff about thesis and antithesis and, you know, and synthesis and, are, and are thematics. These, are like, these
2: people behaving in ways that are consistent with your understanding of human psychology right. and human behavior? That's right. Yeah.
3: And ultimately it's just, you know, people don't want to be taught they want to be entertained
2: exactly
3: so you know one of my (laughs) one of my mentors told me that your book has got to have at least as much be as least as entertaining as a six pack of beer because they cost (laughs) the same thing
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's great uh, let's see. Okay, I think I might be running out of time here. Yes, um, I think you are. Um, yeah, we yeah. <laughs> talked your ear off for a while. <laughs> oh, no, this longer, was yeah. great. I, <laughs> I really appreciate you guys taking the time to chat with me. And um, once again, congratulations on the episode and everything. It's, Thank you. It's Thank phenomenal. you so much. It's anyway. very meaningful. Yeah. So
2: glad you like yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I, I cannot... Props to the director for the visual sense mm. he brought, because we had the mural yeah. and all that in the script, but he brought it to life. Absolutely. Using Mexican like when, his own background. As when
3: old. you see yourself as part of a team and the team will have people on it who are smarter than you and will do things. And it's, it's all you want to do is you want to give them your best, mm-hmm. you know, give them your best and take the football and run, mm-hmm. you know? And then if you can sit back and look what they did with it, then like I said, you can survive in this business and feel happy and feel like you've done something with your life.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's, that's a great sentiment. And the collaboration on the episode came through, like it, it, seems like the having had this conversation with you guys the collaborative the collaborative effort just created just such a such a strong episode that i i loved dearly so i definitely appreciate wonderful you guys doing that I'm delighted <laughs> so yeah. glad you liked
3: it yeah. Yeah. yeah um afrofuturism
2: uh webinar.com yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i was
1: gonna ask what, do you uh want to just tell people where they can find you online yeah
2: like if you like hearing stuff. our voices and mm-hmm. hearing
1: us talk about
2: speculative uh arts we teach a course online, digital download, on Afrofuturism, basically black speculative fiction and the history of it, uh, at www.afrofuturismwebinar.com. And on black horror, it would be sunkenplaceclass.com. Nice. And you Jordan know, Peel actually, uh, before all this, uh, skyped in. Yeah, we <laughs> to have, that class. So yeah. <laughs> T- Tony Todd is on it. It's you know it's it's yeah.
3: wonderful. We. We got very lucky. We know so many wonderful people in in the industry right now, and it's a blessing. I do not for a moment, like I said, I wasn't supposed to be able to get back in. Mm-hmm. So I am in. I am treasuring every moment of
1: this new cycle of. Yeah, I'm
2: on my fourth yes. career. I wasn't supposed to get in at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay. I'm really looking forward to what you guys do next, and I can't. I can't wait to uh, to see what you guys do <laughs> well,
2: we'll talk so again well, you take oh, care absolutely. when the podcast is out oh all i right.
1: definitely will thank you and guys send us and... the link so we can publicize it oh all absolutely all right,
2: absolutely. All right. So Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: we can never
0: calculate what change our actions will bring into the world despite our best intentions and whether they will be for good or ill yet without action the stars themselves go cold jason grant wanted to change the world for the better but the power to do so got the best of him until he lost it all. But today, perhaps losing it all, both for Mr. Grant and for the town of Littleton, was the beginning of something new. Only hands find each other in the shadows, both in our imperfect world and in the Twilight Zone.
1: And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Like, one of the things that I really love about TV in a weird way is, like, looking at the episode titles, because mm. um, sometimes I think they can be really clever and everything. Yeah. Like there are a bunch of episodes of The Office that have like a double meaning like the injury is both Michael's foot injury and Dwight's concussion. Yeah. And the right. secret is Jim's crush on Pam and Oscar's homosexuality. Right. <laughs> and so like they do like fun stuff like that. But I will say that the f- series finale of Lost was one of those times where I was like, "Okay," <laughs> I shouldn't like this, but I do. <laughs> um, do you remember what the title of the series finale was? I don't. It was The End. <laughs> which I thought that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of Lost, oh, God, I love Lost so much. It's been a long time since I've watched it. You know, it, it's me too. And I've I've recently gotten back into watching a little bit of it at a time because Kirsten and I are doing The Lost Point on right. uh, Obsessive Viewer. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine posted on Facebook, like, what are, what are, um, scenes from movies that immediately make you just tear up and cry? Um, and I was like, well, and like, I, like, in my head, I had a few, a few, um, and I'll, I'll ask you that question, then we can go into the episode. Okay. But, um, I had a few keyed up, and I was like, "There's a common thread with these." So I was like, "Okay, well, apparently the composer Michael Giacchino has a direct link into my soul <laughs> because uh, the the scene in Up, not that one, um, the, the at the end of Up, not the beginning of up, like the beginning of Up is tragic and sad and makes me cry too and everything, but I will be reduced into a blubbering mess at the end of the movie." Where spoiler alert. He goes through the scrapbook, scrapbook and, like, he sees that like, I'm getting chills just thinking about it.
4: Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's TeePublic store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at TeePublic.com. For information about The Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out ShocktoberinIrvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at Facebook.com slash As Good As It Gets Band. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Sick of being upsold at gyms?